Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club, where we talk about movies. So we're going to talk about some movies. Yeah, we're talking about Scream 3 today. We're keeping up with the franchise countdown. We're doing we're doing the retro. We're getting hyped. Man, the hype is misplaced in this movie. I told you. I tried to warn you about Scream 3. It's not the best of the bunch. No, not even close. But it's a wild ride. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely the one that feels the most non-scream compared to the other two. Yeah. Also, th- this is a question. When was the last time you saw this, or when was the first time? You know, this is a retrospective, oh, kind of. jeez. Um, I actually don't know the first time I saw this. I know the first time I saw it was on TV, uh-huh. so it must have been early 2000s. Well, this came out in, in the year 2000, so I yeah. wasn't sure if you were like able to see it in a theater or not. No, no. I haven't seen any of the Scream movies in a theater. Scream 5 is going to be the first movie of the Scream franchise that I see in a theater. Really? Yeah, everything else has been... On TV or VHS. Yes, because we watched VHS back in the day. Jesus Christ. Um, all right. I, so, for me, famously, mm-hmm. I guess not so. This was a TNT movie. I saw it only on television mm-hmm. like 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Whenever I saw the, the original Scream movies. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. Because usually they marathon them when they're on. I, it was probably like a Halloween season thing, because yeah. that's usually what happens. They show like Scream, Scream 2, Scream 3. It was like, that's kind of what was just on during Halloween, so we yeah. got the rights for it. But, yeah, I vaguely remembered like one or two things about this movie. Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised that the few things I remembered are like the worst parts about this movie. Because this movie is really not as bad as I thought it was going to be, but yeah. it's not very good. Yeah, it's not terrible. It's not fantastic. It's just kind of in the middle. I mean, I, I wouldn't say in the middle. It's it's like, it's just on the bad side of the middle. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not it's not good. I don't think you could call this a good movie in any sense. That's why I call it a fun movie. Because... <laughs> that, that's Boo's thing, you know? It's just like, I don't, I don't want to disparage anybody, you know? I might still yeah. get work after this. Well, that and, you know, if you're going to work your way through the franchise... You gotta watch it all the way through. Yeah. And, you know, while it doesn't really feel like the first few Scream movies we have, because there's a lot more satire and comedy to it. It approaches self-parody. Yeah. So it kind of feels like a a scary movie movie a little bit. Which, okay, that's another thing, because we had Scream 1 and Scream 2. Like, the distance between those two movies is like a year. We didn't have the saturation of all the Scream copycat movies. I know what you did last summer, Urban Mm -hmm. Legends. That kind of just permeated the horror slasher genre. Yeah. And with this one, this comes out in 2000. Mm -hmm. Scream 2 came out, I think, in like 97. 97. So in between that time, we had the Scary Movie franchise come Mm -hmm. out. We had House on Haunted Hill, 13 Ghosts, the Dark Castle remake movies. We had, like, the, the horror movie genre... And just transformed to being just responses or something, things about the Scream franchise in one sense or the other. Everything had this kind of like tongue-in-cheek quality or meta quality, self-referential thing to it. Then with Scary Movie, it was just pure self-parody. Or it's just pure parody. It's pure parody. And with this one, I'm like, is this Scream 3 trying to respond to the self-parody stuff by self-parodying itself? Well, I think it would have been a different story because... Kevin Williamson wasn't a part of this project. So we didn't have a Kevin Williamson script, even though he left a treatment for the new screenwriter to, you know, 
take his notes and that's kind of what Wes Craven was thinking that this guy was kind of following Kevin's footsteps and you know this beat hit that beat and he didn't he completely hit it out of you know left field and was just like what we're doing what now well well, in in defense of the screenwriter um I I believe the screenwriter is uh Aaron Kruger yeah in his defense Williamson's treatment was something he cranked out over a weekend I believe or like two weeks it was not a well-developed one it was oh you want to do a third one Okay, give me a minute and I'll I'll write something for you. Yeah. Cause it involved this I I know this much. It involved like this weird, like scream fan club cult aspect to it. Yeah. And it was supposed to be something like really weird. Yeah, it was supposed to be a thing where um at least one of the scenes was someone from this fan club breaks into Sydney's house during uh like a get together with her and her friends, he shows up in costume and goes after them and Sydney ends up killing this person who is, you know, technically innocent, but at the same time... Broke into her house. Broke into her house. You're going after a survivor of murders and attacks, and it's just like, yeah, you don't do that. You're kind of playing with your own life at that point. Yeah, and and this kind of storyline was revisited in the Scream uh, TV series, so it's still got to play out in its own way, but this movie is very different. It's very Hollywood. Yeah, it's the most expensive Scream film to date. Yeah. This movie, well, this movie cost $40 million to make. Mm -hmm. That's more than Scream 1 and 2's budgets combined. Yeah. And this also looks like the cheapest one. Like, don't get me wrong, Wes Craven is not a flashy director. He's not the guy who's gonna like, oh, we're gonna do this eight minute long take that goes through like the whole house and we're gonna, we're gonna do these, you know, things. You know, he comes from like the exploitation 70s, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, we're just gonna get it down. You know, stay stationary, lock it down, shoot it, get out. Yeah. He's not doing a bunch of flashy shit. But this actually looks kind of like a TV production. Mm-hmm. And also with, like, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, all all the characters we have in here, the main cast. Yeah. They look like they're coming for, like, a TV cameo kind of thing. Because their costumes never change throughout the movie. They always look like they're... Just, hey, I just came off my other gig. You know, we're, we're going to shoot this scene real quick. Funny you say that, because Courtney Cox and David Arquette were actually coming off their honeymoon into this movie. So that's why they're a little on the tan side, because they were just like, okay, cool, we're going to cut our honeymoon because we got to go film. See, that's another thing, because David Arquette and Courtney Cox, they just, it feels like they're out of place in this, in this Hollywood world. Yeah. And it, it might be the other thing where I think, don't get me wrong, Courtney Cox, I imagine she is a very nice lady, but she does not look good in this movie. It's the bangs. It's, yes. Oh my and god, I didn't want to say anything. No, it, and it's, you know, that meme is used everywhere. Courtney Cox even made fun of it, I think, this past Halloween. She bought a wig with, you know, the, the bangs. The just, baby bangs. Yeah, just to kind of, like, you know, show that, haha, I think it's funny too. But the bangs were actually David Ar- Arquette's idea. He's like, you know, you should go for, like, a Betty Page kind of short bangs and then they cut her bangs and then they just like they they, 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 they didn't realize she has like she has she's pretty lady but she has a very large forehead where short bangs does not yeah but show i mean well. there's short bangs and then there's like hardly any bangs there it's just like stray hairs that are popping out yeah it's so those weren't really bangs yeah like that that's a thing she doesn't look you know like top notch she doesn't look like gail weathers you know reporter at large david arquette looks like he looks like he's wearing the same costume from Scream 2. 
Like, yeah. All this, he, yeah. he looks kind of, like, shabby, which I guess is mm-hmm. the point. You know, mm-hmm. Dewey's supposed to look kind of like, oh, shucks, you know. But he's got his hair slicked back. The, the mustache is a little bit more pencil thin. And it's just like, is this Hollywood Dewey? Yeah. it's It kind of looks like they somebody was like, oh, we're going to do Dewey from memory. Or mm-hmm. somebody's going to do their Dewey cosplay. But yeah. they still want to look good after. Yeah. And then Nev Campbell, pretty girl. Yeah. Did you know that she's wearing a wig? Yes. Because I noticed that right away yeah, and I couldn't. She, yeah, she was shooting a movie. It. She was shooting a movie at the same time and she had to cut her hair for the role, so they had to stick her in a wig for this movie. And not only, you know, the wig and the hair, they also had her for 20 days. Yeah. That, so, that caused a lot of rewrites and basically. I Okay, I think that. The biggest problem with this movie, like, across the board, like, Mm -hmm. there's logic, logistical things, you know, some of the actors look like they didn't have enough time in makeup, or Mm -hmm. people were just like, look, we just need to get this movie done, we'll just wing it on the day. The biggest problem here is the script feels so lackluster, so weird. Like, things are choppy all over the place. Some scenes don't flow into the other ones. The Mm -hmm. logic of how the killer works and how the climax pays off. Yeah doesn't really operate and it's weird because it's it's probably because kevin williamson didn't write it yeah it's like anytime two collaborators come together they make you know something really great and one of them can't be there automatically you feel it you feel that there is just a shift there is something not quite right i mean it's still a enjoyable movie to watch because the comedy is really heavy in this movie yeah but the comedy's not good no, it's not good, but it's just, you know, like, you know. I like know. how Boo's like, it's so enjoyable to watch, you know, the comedy in this movie. Comedy's not good. I know it's really bad, but yeah. it's still enjoyable to yeah, watch bad it, comedy. Yeah, it, it's funny to, you know, watch some of the scenes and how they play out. It's, I don't know. It, it's one of those things where you're, you're already in the camp of, it's a Scream movie, so I'm going to like it anyway. Exactly. It's just, this is your least favorite Scream movie? Yeah, this is my least favorite. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm over, because I don't have the hard-lying, you know, love of the Scream franchise. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the first one. The second one, I might have come down a little hard on it in the last one, but overall, I think the second one's actually a pretty enjoyable slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it is a fun movie. Yeah. I'll say that much. The second Scream movie is very fun. Yeah. This third one, it feels like somebody got told a really funny joke and has been trying to tell it to everyone they know and just doesn't understand why the joke's funny. Yeah. And that feels like the entire, like, script and the story. It's like, oh, I'm going to make a Kevin Williamson-style Scream film Mm -hmm. because he can't be here, but I I can just do a a Scream-alike movie. It'll be fine. And we're going to go full Hollywood. Full Hollywood, full meta. This movie is, is too meta. It is... To the point of self-parody. Mm-hmm. It, it uh, also, it's like the world it takes place in. Because in like Woodsboro and the first two, mm-hmm. the real world, quote unquote, makes sense. Like yeah. you can see this world as an operating, functioning thing. In the first movie, she is a high school student. She is home. Second movie, she is in college. She's trying to kind of move past from the events of the first movie and kind of make a life for herself. This one is just, we're thrown into the sound stages of Hollywood. Yeah, which and it's is just already like, so paradoxically, like, untrue and falsified yeah. and fake. But, and and also, like, okay, elephant in the room. Fucking Jay and Silent Bob show up in this movie. I, I thought th- you would have loved that. Oh, don't get me wrong. I like seeing Jay and Silent Bob show up. But I'm like, why the fuck are they in a Scream movie? I know why they're in a Scream movie, because producers and whatever. But it, like, it breaks tonality. It 
completely puts me in the in the mindset that oh this movie isn't there's the reality of this world doesn't make sense yeah like the nothing is real here so like, i mean i, I think it's hilarious that um that jay calls uh courtney cox uh connie chung and then she like flips so, him off. yeah and i was just like i'm like okay i'm like that's kind of funny <laughs> yeah yeah but that that's the thing the world this movie establishes is one that is foreign to the other two so this that's why this feels so like off the deep end like yeah. this feels so different than all the than the last two it's kind of in the league of its own but with that do you think it's time for us to actually talk about the movie yeah i think Have we, we actually enough about the preamble yeah i think we actually need to get into what happens yes so do you want to start us off uh, i think you should because i i think you i from what you had said earlier you were a fan but not a fan of the opener of this movie yeah because the opening of this movie, we have Cotton Weary. He's now the talk show host extraordinaire. He's basically Jerry Springer. Yes. And he's hosted a show 100% Cotton. In Which the, you love. The name 100% Cotton. Banging. Banging fucking title for your talk show. Also, that like Miami Vice white suit could only be better if Cotton had just a pile of cocaine. But he's driving home. He's in you know, LA traffic. LA traffic fucking sucks. And he gets a call from, oh, Oh, it's it's the killer. He's in your house and he's, he's... gonna kill your girlfriend. Ooh. So what does Cotton do? Bashes some cars and turns around. Yeah, exactly. He's on the freeway. On the freeway. Goes. I think goes on Hollywood Boulevard, mm. swerving into stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. Cause watching the movie, I'm like, oh, they're gonna use like L.A. Yeah. Cause it, the opening image is big Hollywood mm-hmm. sign, helicopter flying through the the L.A. skyline. I'm like, oh. Okay, we're going to be an L.A. movie. We're going to go through the streets of L.A. It'll be cool, great. We're going to see landmarks that, you know, we're familiar with. Yeah. We're going to see Ghostface in a big city. And we don't. No. Not even a little bit. No. But the tease is there. Yeah. Tease is there. He gets home, but while he's on his way, the killer's inside the house, and he's, like, using the voice changer, right? Yeah. To make him sound like Cotton. So he's like, oh, don't worry, baby, blah, blah, blah. And he's, like, trying to kill her. Yeah. And she's like, Cotton, stop playing your stab games. So that makes me think, does Cotton dress up like Ghostface and scare her all the time? He might. It's kind of creepy. It's, no. like, <laughs> it's kind of cringe. <laughs> A little bit. Like, I don't be wrong. I know Leah Shriver, he made your hottie playlist for Scream. Yeah, I mean. I mean, just Scream 3 hottie. Not Scream 2. Scream 2, he was not He was not the hottie. No, he, he is. He, no, no, no. Scream 3, he's the hottie. He's my pick for the movie. Okay, okay. So he is up there with Skeet Ulrich and Timothy Oliphant, I see. Y- yes, yes. Okay. But they finally, he gets home, and he's like, oh, babe, don't worry, it's me. And she's like, go fuck yourself. And then they both get killed, because Ghostface attacks them and stabs them and stabby, stabby, yeah, stabby. Yeah, and I mean, it's smart on Ghostface's behalf, because... She thinks that it's Cotton trying to kill her, and, you know, she does a good job beating the shit out of Cotton when he's trying to convince her, you know, it's not me that's making, you know, these threats, it's actually Ghostface. It really is one of the best kills in the movie. It's the one that feels the most like a scream thing. It also helps establish that the voice changer is magic. Yeah, and it was also Liev Shriver's idea to be killed off in the beginning of the movie, which kind of puts him up there with... The opening kill history that we have with the Scream movies where it's, you know, this really big ornate scene that happens. It's the scene that sets the tone for the rest of them. It does. And Leah Shriver was also, yo, I'm going to do the scene, but I'm going to take off my jacket because I want you to see how ripped I got recently. Why he got on the, the booze hottie playlist. And I was just like, ooh, he's filling out that sweater pretty good. I'm like, all right, okay. <laughs> uh, good, but, good for him. But sad to see him go 
so soon into the movie. Yeah, and it also goes in with the thing that gets brought up with the the trilogy rules that we get in way later in one of the most bullshit scenes in this film. Fuck that scene. But Cotton dies. Yeah. And I'm like, cool kill. Cool kill. Interesting. Sets up the tone for the rest of the movie. And then the rest of the movie happens. And I'm like, that opening scene betrayed me. Yeah, it kind of goes a little downhill from there. I mean, after that, we see Sydney for the first time. Sydney is living out in the middle of nowhere, which is understandable. Yeah. Uh, I, I love all of Sydney's scenes because it really gets to the heart of the movie dealing with, like, trauma. Yeah. De- her dealing with, you know, the traumas of the other films. I like that because getting the psychology of Sydney is the most fascinating part about this. Yeah. And it also makes the rest of the movie look, like, really bad in comparison. Yeah, I mean, also... <laughs> I want her house. Just that middle of nowhere ranch. Yeah, middle of Monterey, California. Just tons of mountains, no neighbors. It's nice, <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, I'd be having some nightmares late at night that you know maybe Ghostface is gonna come in. You or... see the you're, you're the spooky dead mom wandering in. I mean from that the that scene will forever be creepy to me. It's just just it's so <laughs> haunting the way that it's, she does it's it. So. <laughs> bad it's creepy i get it i i get it it's it's (laughs) creepy in the like made for tv stephen king creepy but it is not a well done scene all right so we we see sydney everything is you know under lock and key at her home which is understandable because yeah, yeah, she does the security pad. And... Yeah, we we see Sydney, and we see that she is working on a a women's crisis line. Yeah, so she's able to work from home. She goes by a different name on the line, and she sees on TV that Cotton has been killed. Yeah, and that's when we have her dad make a cameo in this movie where he's trying to kind of get her to go home to Woodsboro. Also, good for the dad showing back up. I haven't seen him in two movies. Yeah, he makes an appearance. He kind of tries to tell her, you know, you're living as basically a nobody. And she's Mm -hmm. like, that's kind of the point. I'm trying not to exist because death follows. Yeah. And I just just really like Sydney's, like, the opening scene here and her scene with the dad because it really gets to the heart of her as a character. And that's the thing. Like, we actually get character development for Sydney in this film. And it makes the ending, the actual ending of the film, so much better. Yeah. And we also see reality in Sydney, too, because when she finds out about Cotton's death, she reacts. Yeah. It's not like a, oh my God, you know, then we jump to Hollywood. It's like, no, she's actually terrified. Yeah. She's like, oh God, it's happening again. Mm-hmm. And she, and this more, I think she doesn't go to Hollywood, no. but it also means that, man, this plot takes forever to, to get good. Yeah. So, but we, we, we go to Hollywood. We go to Hollywood. The audience goes to Hollywood. Yes. Because now we see Gail in the saddened state that she is in with her horrible bangs yeah oh horrible costume this past halloween she dressed up as gail weathers from scream 3 so she had the fake you know baby bangs and it was like okay it's good to see that she can take a joke but she can take a joke yeah but here's but yeah so and then we see gail there with her really bad bangs (laughs) and she's doing this speech at some like journalist thing and Mm -hmm. we basically find out she's now a tmz reporter yeah that's basically what she's turned into yeah basically she was shooting for um what was it 60 minutes 60 minutes she wanted to be the next diane sawyer and then something happens and she ends up on tmz basically and then she finds out oh cotton's dead now she's gonna go to the set of stab three because 
oh, we got a, he did it just at a cameo there. I'm going to go there and get, get the scoop, you know, because I'm well, Gail Weathers. Well, that and LAPD, one of the detectives is like, hey, you know, this is happening. It might be related to the murders of the past. We kind of need someone like you in our corner to get the information. Yeah. But, you know, we get to the stab three. We get introduced to our cast of bodies. Because they are not characters. No. The entirety of everyone involved for the Hollywood section, whether the actors in the stab movies or the producers or mm-hmm. whatever, are not characters. They're body count. They're, yeah, they're all body count. Like, none of the actors have any personality. But with asterisk next to Parker Posey playing... Um, Gail. Yeah, who, who plays a... Julia, Julian, or whatever, who's... Jurgensen. Oh, or Jorgenstern or whatever. whatever. Yeah, but she gets to play the Gale Weathers in the Stab movies. And Parker Posey is actually really funny in this. Yeah, I kind of liked her and Courtney Cox's, you know, playing off each other. Because, I mean, they're constantly fighting. Yeah. But then when all hell breaks loose, they're holding hands and running around screaming. So it's like, it's like seeing two clones running around. Yeah, and that's the thing. Because the two of them together, there's a bit of comedic element there. But... The entire rest of them, body count, I don't care. Yeah. They're also completely forgettable. They have no personality. Yeah. Not even, like, no one does. And then we kind of find out that one of the, like, the director is this, is kind of weird. But actually, okay, this one I feel comfortable talking about who the killer is because the killer makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. So the killer is the director, Roman, which Mm -hmm. I kind of forgot about. Mm Mm-hmm. Like no, dur- no, no, like during the movie, because I when he did the reveal, I'm like, who the fuck are you? It was like, Roman, the director, Scott Foley, which yeah. this was actually his first feature film that he starred in, or he appeared in. And it was just kind of like, okay, this is your first feature film. And I think they told him like two weeks before principal photography was finished. They're like, oh, by the way, you know, you're the killer, right? He's like, no shit. Yeah, I, I think it was like a, an AD or someone else on set. They were like you know, right? And he was like, what, we have, like, hot dogs today? And, like, you know, they, they brought in food, and they're like, no, man, you're the killer. And he's like, really? That's awesome, but... Uh, it's mm. it's bad. It's bad because the whole movie doesn't care. That, and this is also the only Scream movie where there's one killer and not two killers. Which makes the, uh, the again, the movie really confusing. Yeah, and because... Really not, like, not make sense. Yeah, because there was originally two killers, and... It kind of would have made more sense to have that second killer and who they chose. So I don't know why they went back and they just kept it as one. It's really confusing. Again, I feel like the worst element here is the script. It's one of those things where as the film progresses from this point, I just stop caring. Because they now, like, oh, they're killing people like they die in the movie, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's an interesting, like like conceit to the film right yeah, it's like a, it's so meta they're gonna kill like how they're doing it in the internal movie you have but i stopped caring because i don't care about any of the characters you have jenny mccarthy you know make the kind of comedic sentence of you know well the script is always being rewritten every day there's a new script uh there's a new ending and it's kind of playing with this movie where there were three endings that were shot and it's also kicking it back to scream 2 where they had to kind of keep it a secret because it got leaked Oh, God. So I'm like, we're going full meta with just this one sentence. Yeah, and she's also like, well, I'm the I'm just the dumb bimbo that gets killed in the first two scenes. And she's the dumb bimbo that gets killed in, like, her first two scenes. And Jenny McCarthy only has two scenes in this movie. Yes, that's So it's point. just like, it's like, okay, you know, we're going round robin again. So, yeah, so 
I'll just we'll just I'm just gonna like rattle these off real quick. Okay. So Jerry McCarthy gets killed. Who gets killed after that? Is that um, um that's the uh that's the bodyguard. Yeah. Then yeah, bodyguard Crunk, my man. Also, you know who they considered to be the bodyguard? Stone Cold Steve Austin. How badass would that have been? It would have been bad. Stop it with your trivia. <laughs> Come on. Next, next is next is Pretty Boy Dewey that gets exploded. That shit's dumb. Yeah. And then after that, I think it's just like in the in the house, right? Like that like yeah. it's basically the climax. Yeah, I think that's when we get to the birthday party. And Is uh, there anything in the middle of this movie that you even care about? Anything anything after like Sydney's stuff. Anything other than Sydney's scenes do you care about? No, because I mean, we see Sydney, they keep her away from a good majority of the drama. They keep her in the the sheriff's station for a while and we see her kind of going through um what's his name in the movie? It's Patrick Dempsey. Oh, uh, Kincaid. Oh, Kincaid. She goes through, you know, Kincaid's files and that's when we kind of feel like, well, maybe Kincaid is the killer. Yeah. And we start kind of, you know... Because they're doing the thing where, oh, we're going to have the red herring. Anybody can be the killer. Yes. And it's like Patrick Dempsey is put up as the killer. Uh, Angeline, or Angelica, or what, whatever yeah. her name is. Who is plays Sydney and Stab. Who Stav. plays Sydney and Stab. She's also set up to be a possible killer. Like, And that's actually who the second killer was supposed to be. That would have made way more sense. Yeah, she was supposed to be um, Roman's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be this whole thing where they were still going to keep it where, spoiler, Roman is Sydney's half-brother. And it's this whole vendetta where he's going to kill her because his mom never, you know, paid attention, gave her him away. And it was like, okay, it kind of makes sense. You have crazy half-brother and his crazy girlfriend that are just on a killing spree. Yeah, but... But then they decided just to make it... Just Roman, and it's really weird. Again, it's yeah. super weird. Yeah. And But yeah, like the whole middle of the movie is just things happen to people I don't care about because Dewey and Gale have pretty much plot armor yeah. throughout the whole like middle of the movie because none of them die. No. None of them even get like in in danger where you're like oh man this is it like in scream 2 dewey gets like like prison oh yeah he he really gets oh my god he's dead oh Mm -hmm. it's over and then at the end he's like oh he's still alive blah blah blah. and and this is like okay they have plot armor i I don't care yeah you know but what i do care about is they do the randy cameo yes fuck that Okay, that's some bullshit. You should, if you if you knew you're gonna make a third one, don't kill Jamie Kennedy. And then we find right. out that Randy has a younger sister, which never came up in the first two movies. And she's only in one scene to give the mm-hmm. tape and be like, "We miss you in Woodsboro," and leaves. And she yeah. deuces out of the universe forever. Well, possibly not. Look, I, if she's, I don't care if she's in Scream Five. Scream Five doesn't exist yet. We're not there yet. It's We're not. not talking it's about. not there yet. But yeah, so we have that. Apparently, that video that Randy does, they had Jamie Kennedy do, like, two or three hours worth of material yeah. for that. And I was just like, what else could he have said? Uh, okay, here, here is my internal... I'm, okay, let me grab the tinfoil hat. Oh, it's on. It's firmly on. I think that they had Jamie Kennedy there and like, all right, so we're not sure if we're going to make more of these. So we're going to need you to do a lot of stuff. So we just, you know, one one go, right? Just ramble on, Ramble whatever. on, whatever. And I imagine he had rules for Screams 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Like, he had Could all have. these rules. Like, you know, 
like the Weinsteins were like, oh, we're going to make like helmet, Hellraiser numbers mm-hmm. of these kind of movies. We're going to make 12 of these fuckers. Yeah. So I imagine there are VHS tapes somewhere in, in, in the vaults of Hollywood of just Jamie Kennedy just being like, and this is the rule if you ever get into a septuple trilogy here, all yes. right? If you're in the seventh movie, <laughs> this does happen, all right? It's usually in those <laughs> weird like Chinese kung fu movies. So give me a minute. And then he just does a bong rip and just tells us, like, the rules of those. And his poor uh, doormate is still outside of the door. Please, Randy, let me in. I want to go in my room. so cool if they had Timothy Oliphant as, like, Mickey, and that's who's knocking on the door. Yeah, that like, would have been roommates. pretty badass. That would have been way cooler. I would have loved to have seen that Timothy Oliphant, like, cameo in this. Yeah. But neither here nor there. So we get to see, basically, our original core group, even though Randy has, you know, Peace departed. Gone. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, we also get to see, I think one of my favorite parts that's, like, non-scream is the the cameo of Carrie Fisher. Yeah, yeah. I, I, they even pointed out, it's like, wait, are you her? No, nope. don't look like her. I guess you're supposed to believe that this is not Carrie Fisher. Yeah. But it, I thought it was really cool that originally, before Carrie Fisher was approached... They approached Jamie Lee Curtis to do this. And it's like, how fucking meta would that have been? You have... That that would have been really... Yeah, that would have been a little too meta. Because I think... What was it? They did Halloween H2O, like, right around this time. Or Resurrection. Yeah. Which, yeah. which is probably why she didn't do it. And also, those movies suck ass. Also, um, Halloween... Or Resurrection sucks a lot of ass. H2O has some redeeming qualities. No, no, H2O, but, I love but that, H2O. But that's, a, but that's like another one of those scream slasher, like, response kind yeah. of movies. But um, the house uh, that they yes, have it's the from H two O. I read the same IMDb trivia for that you did. It's but okay. come on, it's so cool. It's the same I, house that's used I as a school. I don't care. It's just being meta. Just care. Uh. But, but yeah, the, it's the same. The house, the school are the same thing. So it kind of ties it to Halloween, in a way. Yeah. I mean, that that is the whole point, because this movie, this series started as a meta commentary on slashers, yeah. but really it was a meta-commentary on the tropes Halloween created. Yeah. And I I do think if they had Jamie Lee Curtis in, that would have been a, the layers of meta on top of yeah. each other. That would have been really interesting. Because, like, again, this movie hits self-parody. Yeah. And I'm sur- I'm not surprised they tried to get Jamie, like, Jamie Lee Curtis in here. And I'm, like, not surprised that Roger Corman has a cameo in this. Yeah. And it's just... And it's also the other thing where it's like, Jane Silent and Bob showing up, I have a problem with it because it breaks the reality of the universe, but this tr- literally being a, a, a parody film of its own franchise, yeah. it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's Hollywood. It's what everyone expects, that there's just stars everywhere. And it's like, in this movie, yeah, there's a ton of stars. And it's just like, whoa, you're in this? Why Wait. are you? It's like, what? The thing in it doesn't make it good it just makes it confusing i mean it's neat but uh, whatever whatever this just <laughs> the whole middle of the movie is just so benign and boring and dull but because I was, you don't care about anybody well i was actually taking it to the carrie fisher part because not only a cool cameo because fuck yeah carrie fisher i love her mm-hmm. um also we learn more about Sydney's mom, Maureen Prescott, an actress, a model, and was doing, like, sci-fi and horror movies. And, yeah, she ends up getting... Um, uh, like, she was somebody who went to Hollywood with the bright-eyed ideas mm-hmm. of becoming the starlet, and she met a very harsh and uh, cruel 
person biz- that well, no business that yeah. chewed her up and spat her out. And that's kind of really brings it back to the beginning of Maureen's character and why she seems so like loose and had this like inner trauma with her. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting development of her character, but it also makes Maureen the villain of this of this yeah, franchise. Yeah, because even uh, in the beginning when we see Sydney after Cotton's you know past and she's talking to her dad. She blames her mom. She finally says, you know, if she wasn't out there doing the things that she was doing, none of this would ever have happened. It's true. And it's, you know, why was she filled with so many secrets? I don't feel like I even know my own mother. Well, and it's just kind of like, yeah, and we kind of get to, you know, why there's so many secrets. And it's understandable. You know, you this horrible thing happens to you when you're trying to just make a career for yourself. It's like, you really don't feel like you could go tell people, I'm the way I am because this happened. Well, for these films, you caught this, right? Every Scream film revolves around the fact that Maureen slept with some somebody yeah. that was not her husband, right? Yeah, Every yeah because single we, one. we have it in the first movie where Billy is pissed off that her mom had an affair with his dad. The second movie, it's Billy's mom that's pissed off that her mom had an affair with her husband and she killed, you know, her son. And it's just this movie, it's kind of coming full circle to... Oh, this is why Marine was is so promiscuous. Way. Yeah. And it it is a thing where, it, oh, that develops her character. That develops somebody we've never seen, like, actually perform in the films. No, and we actually kind of see the murder scene for Marine because it's never shown in the first movie. Mm-hmm. It, we're, we only know that she has, you know, been killed. And ultimately, it's Billy, Billy and Stu that are the ones that kill Marine first. She's the first victim. But we actually see it in the set. In the third movie, in the stab movies, where, wow, you know, we're going to, you know, flashbacks of Maureen's death. We're going to flashbacks of this, that. Which, another thing, the stab, the stab movies are all they're supposed to be shit, right? Yeah, they're supposed to be terrible. Okay, that's what I was, I was thinking because as they're talking about it in universe, I'm like, all these, this sounds like so cliche bad, but yeah, intentional. It's people poking fun at slash movies. Yeah, but, and even the cast in the third stab movie. They're talking about how um, Tori Spelling and David Schwimmer are not coming back. So it's just kind of like they're finding anybody that they can to just kind of fill in the roles of these people. And that's why uh, Gail Weathers makes, you know, a kind of a big to do about Dewey's counterpart in the movie because he's this tall, good looking guy. And she's like, that's supposed to be you. And it turns into a joke because it's like, yeah, none of these people give me the Sydney vibe, the Gail. Oh, I take that back. Because Parker Posey is a good Gale impersonator. She's in it to win it. Parker Posey is definitely the one doing the most work in this as to try and be meta funny. I, yeah. I think Parker Posey is the only one who knows what kind of movie she's in. Yeah. By far. She's the only one who knows this is supposed to be a comedy. Yeah, and fake Sydney, you know, finally makes the revelation at, during the climax that she slept with John Milton to get her role. Which and, is reflective of what Maureen did, and I think and she reflective would better of, you know, as a killer. Than yeah. Roman, because she makes sense, because she has theme and motive. I mean, we see her at one point with the mask, with one of the fake knives. It's like, it makes sense to kind of paint her as a villain. And I think that's what they were doing up towards the end of the movie. And then they just decided, no, we're going to scrap it and kill her instead. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, going back to what you were saying about the set. Where yeah. they're reenacting Marine's death and all that stuff. They've rebuilt Sydney's house, Stu's house. They rebuilt the entire Woodsboro, basically the exact from the one from the movie. And it's the best scene in the film because it's 
because we have Cindy going in and it's really reflective of mm-hmm. her and her trauma and her experiences yeah. in the rest of the franchise. And it takes us all back to the first film and it really does get to the point that to her, these are not fun slash movies. These are very traumatic yeah. and horrible things that have happened to her that she has to like rise above. It, mm-hmm. it builds into her character and her story. Yeah. And it also is interesting because it's, they literally do like the scream, you know, ghost face attack from the first yeah. movie again. But she's like, oh, I'm prepared for this now. I can get the upper hand. You know, yeah. I'm not defenseless anymore. And it really is a good build up to what's going to happen later on in the movie. And then, you know, the cops like, oh, there's no killer here. And she's like, he was in Westboro. I was like, that's a film set, Sydney. And I'm like, go fuck yourself, yeah. detective uh, pretty eyes. Yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> or pretty eyes. That works Fuck too. that guy. Yeah, because, but. Like, they, yeah. They, they what? just got finished scraping bodies out of like three other, bla- other places. Just believe her for God's sake. Yeah, and. This was Wes Craven's idea for the scene because he wanted to revisit Woodsboro without actually going back. So he was like, yeah, we will front the money to rebuild the sets, which I think is genius. It's like, if you're going to do a Hollywood version of this movie, have the sets so we could have Sydney basically go back because I think it's, you know, under assumption, this is her first time actually going home while not really going home. It's also another thing where I know Wes Craven did it and it wasn't in the script. Because it was one of those things where they're like, yeah. do you want us to actually build the insights? And he was like, yeah, yeah, we're going to use them. Yeah. And they were like, it's not in the script. He's like, no, no, we're going to use them. Yeah, and it's interesting to see her because she walks out of Stu's house. And she kind of walks around and she goes to see, you know, where she found Tatum, you know, dead in the garage door. And it's just, you just see her reliving the trauma of that one night. Yeah. And it's just, it's powerful as the survivor, just seeing her relive that past trauma and then getting attacked and running through her own childhood home. I mean, I love the part where she sits on her bed and she's, you know, rehaving the conversation with Billy. The voiceover's a little cheesy. I'll yeah. say the voiceover's cheesy, yeah. but I'm like, you know what? This movie is kind of cheesy and yeah. we already saw Ghost Maureen, so... Fine, I'll yeah. give you. I'll give you the benefit here. Yeah, so it's just interesting to see. We're gonna have a whole section talking about suspension of disbelief in this oh, movie. Oh, by the geez. way, it, oh god. But it's interesting to see kind of where her her mind is at, and it's like she's you know reliving that conversation, the whole thing with locking the two doors back to back. And you're right, she does kick ass in this movie. It's fear, but she's also she's gonna put up a fight. Yeah, and it is a it is good. Again, going back to the, what I keep saying, all the Sydney scenes are good. Yeah. It's the scenes without her that are really bad. Yeah. And an- another one that's pretty... Okay, you know in uh, Randy's uh, epitaph where he tells them the rules of the third movie, yes. he's like, look, in case this happens again, you know, your kill is going to be supernatural. You know, he'll be forced. You know, you got to yeah. just cut his head off and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And... You know, we have a magical killer now. Yes. After, uh, and he's also able to blow up houses. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, I mean, when did he sneak in there and turn on the gas? For Okay, first of all, well, I'll, I'll, I'll lay the scene out. So, this is actually, I don't know if it's before or after Sydney's attack. I think it's before. Yeah, okay, it's a, a little bit before. It's probably like, I don't know, one or two scenes before yeah. this. So... We have all the actors for the stab movies and Dewey and Gale and the bodyguard. They're all they're all at the the fancy manor. Yeah, right? the only people missing are the director and Sydney. Yeah, and also the producers or whatever. But they're yeah. all there. 
and the bodyguard gets attacked, the killer calls, and they're like, oh, I'm, you know, inside the house, or outside, or blah, blah, blah. So they're all hiding outside, or they're out by the pool. Yeah, They're like, oh, we don't want the killer to sneak up on us, because we don't want to play into his trap. Well, it's progressed, because the killer's not calling, he's sending faxes. Yes, and that's what he's saying. He's like, if you want to live, you gotta find the fax machine. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh god. They go to the fax machine, and it's reading out pages and all this other mm-hmm. shit. And... The one guy is like, I gotta know how what happens. I gotta know if I live. And he runs in by himself mm-hmm. and takes the page and he's trying to read it, even though they were perfectly able to read it in moment, the dark, in, yeah. a dark moments ago. He's like, I can't read it. He goes into the kitchen and he finds a lighter mm-hmm. and flicks it. And he's like, I'll give mercy to whoever smells the gas. Oh no. And he does the looks at the camera. <laughs> Oh no, didn't have and he explodes. The whole house explodes yeah. in like a giant, you know, Michael Bay explosion. But they make sure to show you that he explodes into a million pieces too. Yes, and everybody gets like, oh no, and they got thrown down the hill and it's a big thing. But how much okay, Dean's logic hole. Okay. Welcome. It's nice. You know, kick your shoes off, take a seat. The logic hole here is so how long was the gas on? Because that has to have been a lot of gas to blow up an entire house. Yeah. All those Everybody in there should have probably passed out from, like, carbon monoxide poisoning, gas poisoning, something. They would have noticed. They would have noticed, but the front door was always open. Well, other thing, front door's always open. The gas would have dissipated out. Also, he lit that lighter and he was able to read everything. And then And then explode. And that's the thing. When you light a lighter in a room full of gas, you know, you know what's happening very quickly but this is hollywood they need him to read the script they need him to read the script but and it also blows up the entire house oh yeah from the foundation up like i benefit of the doubt i could say maybe he snuck in he closed up the kitchen door laid whatever towels and he just like turned the gas on in the kitchen but then we would have seen them trip over towels getting into the kitchen well maybe that's maybe that's the thing maybe not even like towels but I could benefit of the doubt if the kitchen was closed up and sealed off and he was like, I'm just doing it so whoever goes in the kitchen and lights this lighter I've conveniently set here Mm -hmm. instead of taking it outside or going next to the window or just being able to read in a dimly lit room. Because he's able to get out and get down to the street where everyone rolls down, you know, after the explosion. He knows exactly where Gail's going somehow. He's, he's able to sneak up on her and also get shot five times in the chest and disappear without a trace. And then still leave a picture of Maureen. Again. <laughs> it's very Wizard of Oz when you see the, the feet roll up under the house. It's just like, oh, suddenly here's a picture of Sydney's mom. Yeah. And it's like, did, where, did you have it with you? Like, were you expecting to be able to get the jump on somebody? Did no one hear you, you know, pull the paper out of your pocket and then just... Voila, leave the picture there. And the, the other thing, he's able to kill the bodyguard. Because he kills yeah. the bodyguard, like, right before this, but the bodyguard's, like, able to, like, still make it to the house and all that stuff. So yeah. the timeline is, like, so he stabs the shit out of Krunk. Yeah. And then he's, like, all R. right. R.I.P. Krunk. R.I.P., you know. He kills Krunk, and then he's, like, all right, now I gotta sneak into the house, get that ready, and then have the fax machine ready that's somewhere else that I'd be able to fax these things to you people. Yeah. And... Also, hoof it downhill and... Hide behind this car and wait for you guys. Wait for you guys, and then I'll be able to get you. Or somebody else. I can get get, two for the night. And then get shot in the chest five times and be able to run away. Yeah. It's just one of those things where this is another proof that, you know, serial killers equal magic. That and also it feels like this is how we have 
to Ghostface. And they make a whole thing with Angelina after they roll down the hill. How did she end up so far away from the rest of everybody that jumped and fell down the hill? Yeah, she is the um, Derek of this movie. They're trying really hard to make Angelina the the villain, right? Or make her the red herring. And it's... Heavy-handed, that's a lot of the movie. It's kind of heavy-handed in, in like, the red herring mm-hmm. sections. And it's also just... It re- it really does feel, feel like this was a uh, written-on-the-day kind of movie. Mm-hmm. But neither, neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. Because I believe after this... Well, going a little out of order in the second half, because we're just talking about shit that's interesting. Yeah. There's not a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um... But after this, where where are you looking to go? Do we finally just get to the birthday party? Or to the grand reveal of Maureen's mystery that's not a mystery because you don't care about the mystery? No, I, I think we gotta jump to the birthday because that's where everything happens. That's where the last 45 minutes of this movie is. That's where the last 45 minutes are. It's, um, the party's being house. held at John Milton's house, who is a producer. Big Hollywood lavish house that he lives in. And the the interior of the house, and I think maybe, like, the secret room, kind of reminded me of Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, it's definitely going for a vibe. Mm-hmm. It's going for that old Hollywood money kind of vibe. And they they point out, you know, oh, he's been here since the 70s, man. This was yeah. the place to be, man. Yeah. He had, you know, private screenings in his uh, screening room. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice house, but you know all hell is about to break loose. Yeah, and... When hell does break loose, it's, you know, a party. Everybody's splitting up to go search for the secret screening room. But it's a party with only, like, five people there. Yeah. Which is kind of odd for a big Hollywood birthday party. Yeah, and I guess it's supposed to be a thing where, oh, Roman's having a pity party, right? Yeah. And it's like, wait, Milton's not there. It's mm-hmm. his house. Mm. Why isn't he here? How did you get in? Also, why is Roman already blasted? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know the timeline of how long they've been in in the house, but it looks like he's pounding back full bottles of champagne. And just, you know, oh, woe is me. They, they canceled my movie. They did this. And it's just like, if you know that Roman is the killer, it's like, dude, you sacked your own movie. Yeah. And now, Roman as the killer in this, in this whole buildup, right? So, he goes off, they're splitting up, they're looking for stuff. He goes down to the basement, Gail and Dewey are like, oh, there's something wrong, he tries to find everybody, and Gail finds Roman in the in the basement. Yeah. Right? And I noticed this, Gail checks his pulse, mm-hmm. confirms he is dead. Yeah. How? Because we know he's not. I don't know. And, but... okay, besides that, so... They run out, or Gail and Julian, whatever, they run out, and they meet up Dewey, but then, like, hell breaks loose, Ghostface appears, and, like, Angelina gets killed, Tyson gets gets killed, Dewey gets cut up, because that's what happens in every one of these mm-hmm. movies, Parker Posey gets shot in the, or gets killed. She gets stabbed in the back and in the stomach, and... And, and Dewey's like, watch out, Gail, and he tries to shoot out the two-way mirrors to find her, and I'm like... You just shoot out the first one and you just kind of like walk in, right? Like you're, it's over. I would think so. But he's like, no, I'm going to shoot out all these windows. Also, one thing about this house that I liked was all like the secret passages. Which is, why? Why are there secret, why does he have a Scooby-Doo mansion? Because this is like the Scooby-Doo version of Scream. (laughs) 
That Yeah, that's kind of a good way to put it. Yeah, so I like the secret passages. They kind of, you know, they say it early on that it's probably tied to Prohibition. It's an old house. Something. Yeah, something. So I, I thought that was kind of a cool element, trying to find, you know, where to go in this house. And it makes sense for Ghostface, because he should know where the secret passages are, so he's able to appear in one spot and end up in another. Why does he know about the secret passages, though? I mean, at... Magic? Go with magic. I was thinking um, Milton was his dad. It's... I don't know if that, that's never established. It's never established, but I always thought that there was something there. Right. It, I, that, I mean, that's, I guess that's the implication. Yeah. You know, or he's the one that, you know, hot Maureen to the party and she was taken advantage of and yada, 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 yada. Yeah. But I'm like, Ro- Roman's motivation is so weird. Well, I guess it's not. We- I just don't care. Because yeah. I don't care about Roman as a character. No, he's the first, um, well, I mean, uh, Timothy Oliphant in the previous movie wasn't tied to Sydney's past. Um, Mrs. Loomis was. So, you know, Roman's really the first one that there's really no connection at all. You know, Sydney doesn't know him. This is the first time they're meeting. They've only ever met once he's the killer. Actually, Yeah, we'll just talk about that That the final scene yeah. or like the the villain reveal and monologue and all that because stuff. there's always a monologue there's always a monologue and i'm always like you've won sir just do the thing well roman reveals himself to be the killer and he's like my motivation is oh maureen was my mother and she abandoned me and when i found her she denied me so i you know, made my movie and I showed Billy my movie and he didn't like that. And I convinced him to kill your mother. I am the brain you know, behind all this. I'm the puppet master. <laughs> I convinced him to get a second killer so that he could frame the killing on that one. So I was like, so he had his Patsy. What we had said, you know, he picks Stu to kind of be the fall guy. Yeah. He, he did. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, okay, Roman retroactively being the, the mastermind. Behind mm-hmm. all the screen, like Scream One and yeah. by extension Scream Two, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And that kind of goes in with the the trilogy rule that Randy was talking about, where oh, the past will come, the past will come back to bite you in the ass, but from a different angle. Yeah, from a different angle. But the problem is this angle sucks because it's it was never hinted at Roman was a non-character for the entirety of the film. And Billy never said, you know, we we've had help or, you know, from an anonymous source or anything. It was just him and Stu were doing all of this. And it's like, I kind of liked that it was just so personal in that way. Right here, it's just like the universe feels like it just expanded way too far. Yeah. And it's one of those things where a good, good example of that. So like the Michael Myers, I guess the, Friday movies, the Friday 13th movies, yeah. that the series like expands, you know, Jason gets more supernatural and weird and kooky as the series progresses. Jason takes Manhattan. Jason takes Manhattan. Like all those, I'm like, okay, at least it's, it's a slow burn. It's a yeah. slow boil of it being completely ridiculous. Yeah. Once we get to Jason X, Jason in space, I'm like, okay, at this point, he is a supernatural zombie and he started as a disabled kid who drowned. Yeah. But we've had that slow burn over like 10 movies. Now I'm like, okay, benefit of the doubt. This is ridiculous. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But we're going from a pretty grounded first movie. Like yeah. the first movie, for the most part, is a pretty grounded, like, whodunit slasher yeah. flick. 
The second one, it's having a little bit more fun with it. It's a little bit more meta, but it's, for the most part, a pretty grounded, you know, fun, you more, know. More creative kills. More, Yeah, more creative slasher flick. The third one is like, okay, so now we have this whole deep, deep lore backstory that we're just going to throw at the audience. Maureen was an actress. Mm -hmm. Also, she had an illegitimate kid. Also, this is her new, this is her son. Also, he's also a psychopath that killed her. Also, he's the reason for Billy and Stu. Mm -hmm. And also, he's like, he, also, he's, you know, the mastermind. He's also magic. And he also has this bulletproof vest that makes him impervious to getting shot any time before the climax of the movie. That and it's the whole yin and yang of having Sydney and Roman, you know, good versus evil. It, it escalated really quickly. Yeah. Like, if it was a thing where, oh, we find out that Roman is her half-brother earlier in the movie, mm -hmm. like, okay, or if we just established that, oh, Maureen got pregnant, yeah, and we're like, oh, that must have been Sydney. Like, what if that was the, the mystery they unsolved, like, halfway through the movie, right? That her dad is actually not her dad. Yeah. Or, you know, Gail and Julia, they find out, it's like, wait, when you know reynolds left when maureen mm -hmm. left hollywood she was pregnant mm -hmm. when did she meet you know uh sydney's dad yeah oh they met like right after she got back oh that's sydney's baby like sydney is the illegitimate baby but she's like no it's roman because yeah. she could have had roman like the year after or whatever mm -hmm. yada 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 i'm like that would have been interesting yeah you know establish that she was pregnant in hollywood cool but having roman be the the half-brother is just weird, and having it only be one killer is weird. Yeah, It, it really needed the two killers. Yeah, it's just, the, it's just the thing. Roman being the killer is just... It just irks me the wrong way. It, I don't know. You, your, your thoughts on Roman the killer. Roman <laughs> the, the director. Roman the half-brother. Roman the half-brother. Roman the man who's only in 15 minutes of the movie, and 10 of it are, are in the final scene. Yeah, I, I thought it was weird. I mean, if you want to establish that she does have a half-brother, they could have played it where they were getting to know each other, but he was also trying to get her comfortable and then ultimately kill her because he's got mommy issues. And it's just kind of weird because it goes, you know, from, hey, look at this film I made about our mom, you know, cheating with different guys, and then I'm going to kill you. It's just, you know, it's... Zero to a hundred. What if it was a thing where the first half of the movie, you know, oh, Dewey's figuring out who's this person who keeps trying to find out where Sid is and they find out it's Roman. He's the one who's trying to find out you're the killer. And he's like, no, I'm her brother. And like, that's the midpoint reveal. Yeah. So and then it's like the whole half other half of the movie is the fallout of that. And then the final twist is he's the killer. That might've been a thing where it'd been a little bit too like wonky. Well, but, there's also know. an error there too, because you know, Roman's giving his monologue and he's talking about how he went to Woodsboro and, you know, made his little film about, you know, Mommy Dearest. Mm. And it goes back to when Dewey and Sydney, or not Dewey and Sydney, Dewey and Gail are having their coffee date. And he tells her, you know, off the record, a woman, you know, was calling the station asking for Sydney's file for a movie. And we told her no. And then there was a break in in the file room. And. I guess they were there to take Sydney's file, but Dewey had, you know, the the right of mind to take the file home and protect it. And it's like, well, that would have gone with Angelina being the second killer. Yeah. You have Roman who comes up with this idea. You have Angelina pretending to be, you know, his assistant or whatever and asking for this for the movie. So it's like, so we kind of had almost the two killers and they were just like, oh yeah, I forgot we said that in that one scene. Because it's like, 
here here's something that could have been like another like crazy crazy weird twist that obviously was never gonna fucking happen yeah but in my mind canon it would have been interesting so what if sid was the killer hear me out here yeah so we have the whole first part of the movie where kincaid is like where's sydney yeah. where's sydney and he's really cagey about why they want to find mm -hmm. sydney dewey says i don't know gail's like no no mm -hmm. they're protecting her right yeah what if it was a thing where Sydney never goes to the police and they, like, you know, Dewey and Gail, they meet with Sydney, you know, at her home or they meet somewhere and they're just like, oh, God, what's going on? She's like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I think they're after me again. And the final grand reveal when Kincaid arrives, they're, you know, gun pointed at Sydney and Dewey and Gail are like, don't shoot, don't shoot. And he reveals, we've been looking for Sydney because we found her prints on the knife yeah. from the first, from and Cotton Weary's apartment. And then, you know, Sydney kills him. And then it's a thing where, oh, Sydney's the new killer, right? And it's the big twist. And yeah. now she's going to kill Gale and, Dew and Dewey to rid herself of the memories of Woodsboro. Yeah, I mean, that That would have also fucked with the trauma angle, but... It yeah. would have, but, you know, it's understandable. It's like, yeah, you know, they keep making movies about your past, and it's just getting even more crazy, because when it's the first movie that we see in Scream 2, um, when they're showing, like, the Casey Becker scene, it's just, like, so over dramatized it's like yeah you could see it where it's just you know pushing her and irking her it's like you know this isn't how the story went why do i have to see you know my life being showed on the big screen over and over so yeah you could see her kind of like you know what i'm gonna stop this from happening nail in the coffin but sydney's the good guy i know sydney's the good guy it's just that's why i said that's the the like ooh in my fancy mind palace where franchising yeah. didn't matter in cinema yeah could have been I mean, an interesting thing or they could have made it where Kincaid was the killer because he talks about how he grew up on you know the sound stages and that's why he's part of this investigation he's the phantom of the screen film exactly you know he's there he's luring her in trying to you know get her comfortable and then ultimately kills her because he's just a fanboy of this uh, investigation yeah that. It's the thing where it's like Kincaid and Angela are the red herrings that mm -hmm. are well established in the movie yeah. as being the red herring. So, you know, it, and I understand why they're doing Roman is because, oh, he's the person you would never expect. Well, but that he's and he's also not there a lot because the police take him to interview him and he's gone for a good majority of the movie. Yeah. And, I, the, and then when he comes back, he's like, oh, you know, they were interrogating me, all this other stuff. And it's the implication that Roman is the character that it couldn't possibly be because yeah. of how, like, how the logic of, of the world would work, right? Because, yeah. okay, they try so hard to make it so it can't be him. Yeah. You know, oh, he's in police lockup. Oh, they traced the phone that we heard his voice when he, when uh, Sarah was killed. Yeah. Oh, but it couldn't have been because we've already established the voice change manipulator and then it's like, oh, well, this, that, and the other thing. And then we see him die. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, or we don't see him get killed. We just see the aftermath. And it's like, yeah. oh, that's what happened. And it's like, all this stuff that's established, it couldn't possibly be him. Yeah. And then the twist ending of, no, it was him. And I'm like, you you did the entire movie laying groundwork that it couldn't be him. And, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with, like, I guess in like Scream 2 with, like, Mickey and Mrs. Loomis. There was actually groundwork laid out, so they could be more plausible as the killer. I still say the motive is some bullshit. But... I mean, I like that twist, but I like that they had them hidden in plain sight. 
yeah, the hidden in plain sight, you know? Like, Mrs. Loomis is in a lot of the movie, yeah. in little in little bits. Mickey, yeah, he disappears for, like, the last little half of the movie, but you remember him as a character. Yeah, it's never, like, oh, who is this person, you know? Who is uh, Debbie Salt? It's like, no, she has been there in almost every other scene, so it's not, like, this huge surprise at the end where it's just, oh, haha, it's been me that's, you know, been pulling the strings in this movie. It's just, like... And, and it's just like really Roman's the killer, and that's <laughs> the problem because Roman as the killer is weak, you know. Yeah. And I mean, Sydney kicks his ass. I oh, mean, I love that fight. I mean, actually. they're they're going, you know, punch for punch. You know, she pulls a chair. It's just like, holy shit, this is a fight. Oh, <laughs> so crazy part about this fight, and I already know a weird where you're going. Homage to the first film. Mm-hmm. You remember in the first film where Sydney comes out with the umbrella and she stabs Skeet mm-hmm. Ulrich. And since Skeet Ulrich had, like, a like heart surgery, right? He had, like, yeah. this little wire on a nerve in his mm-hmm. chest, and she, like, dinged it between the pads. Well, that was um, Sydney's stun actress that did that. But in this movie... Sydney was like, I got this, and comes up behind the bar with an ice pick mm-hmm. and is going to stab Roman in the back. Now, the actor playing Roman... Um, Scott Foley. Scott Foley. He's wearing, like, full padding underneath, yeah. and they're just like, okay, she's going to hit you with this, but this ice pick, it's... You know, it's dulled out. It's fine. She's going to hit the pad. It's going to hit. You're going to be fine. Yeah. And she, little too high, little off to the wrong side, and just drives this ice pick four inches into his back. Yeah. That she, scream was real. It was a real scream. Uh, missed the padding by so little. and it was just like less than an inch, right? And I mean, you could see it when you watch it. It's like, I didn't know that fact before. And after reading it, I watched the scene and I was like, oh yeah, that that's genuine. That's... Somebody that's hurt. It also explains why the moment after that, the fight is over, Roman is just on the ground. Mm-hmm. I can imagine Scott Foley got stabbed in the back and they were like, look, I'm sorry. We got you in the meds, whatever. But we got to film the rest of the fight scene. He's like, nah, dick. Nah, we're, we're filming my death shot right now. I'm lying on the ground. It's over. And it's like you have that scene as he di- he's dying and she takes his hand to kind of like, you're not dying alone. Yeah, it's like we're family, man. You know, and Fast and the Furious, family. For the family. For the family. We'll drink some Coronas when I see you again. For family. For family. And then, you know, he dies and she's just kind of like, yeah, give me my hand back. And shoots him in the head after well, he gets up to run at her again. Who is it? Was or it Dewey. Dewey. Dewey does it. Dewey. He's low. Was it Dewey? He says, you know, hey, isn't it, you know, they always, you know, come back or something. magic and shit. And then he does, and he goes about, you know, emptying his clip into his chest, and Sydney's just like, head! The head! head. head. And he's like, what? In the head! And he finally shoots him and takes him down. It's so dumb. Also, bulletproof vests don't work like that. You can't unload a full, like, magazine in there, and it'll get all of them. And I mean, when Sydney kills him, she manages to stab him in the heart, which... Should, should what, probably kill him. Well, that and it's like, wouldn't your heart be covered by the bulletproof vest? So it's like, I don't know if a blade would be able to penetrate a bulletproof vest. Or... Yeah, it depends on the vest, but it it's a, it's shown in the movie that it's through. Yeah, it goes through. It's, it's one of those things where the climax of the movie is like really bad because it's so... Gen- it's all the kills leading up to it and all that stuff is like, oh, it's really generic, just boilerplate slasher stuff. Yeah. And then the reveal is really lame, weak, killer reveal that's like, well, that doesn't make any sense according to the rest of the movie. Yeah. And then and the, the final fight, though, interesting and it's like cool and there's, they are beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. But 
You know, it's just, it just—it feels mean, so you know, lackluster, right? That's what it's like having siblings. Sometimes you guys beat the shit out of each other. It happens, and it's brand new information. So it's like we gotta really kick the shit out of each other yeah. to make up for lost time. <laughs> but we finally get to the real ending of the movie, yeah. which is probably the most redeeming quality of this film. Yeah, it's you know we finally have a happy ending. Dewey proposes to Gail. It's established that uh, Officer uh, Pretty Eyes... Kincaid. Kincaid. Officer Kincaid, Officer Perfect Hair Forever... Yes. ...is going to be dating Sydney or whatever. Like, that's the implication. Yeah. Well, which is interesting because earlier in the movie when she shows up at the precinct for the first time, she's wearing the letters that uh, Derek Derek gave her. I liked that. That was a cool little nod to the other films. Yeah, because this movie is two years after Scream 2, so it's like... We're going by twos. Man, so, that timeline is rough. Yeah, so this is two years later, so she's still wearing her letters, so she's still, you know, she's still hung up on Derek, because Derek was very important to her. She let him in after a long time of kind of, like, not really trusting anybody, only to have him taken away. But I like that we got to see the letters again, uh, the climax of the movie. She's wearing the green shirt with a brown jacket, which is a kickback to Scream 2 when she's wearing the brown leather jacket and the green shirt underneath it. So it's like we kind of see that that same Sydney is still there. And we get to see happy Sydney at the end of this movie. When she leaves the door open and she's like, she feels safe. Yeah, you know? the, the door kind of opens with the wind. And it's not like in these movies where the door opens by itself. You know Ghostface is going to come running through a window or just appear somewhere else. You just kind of see that look on her face like, it's all right, you know. I, I, I got this. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm surrounded with friends. I'm good. And I'm like, that's a really nice ending to her her arc of like trauma, PTSD, you know, all, all the, the stuff that happened in her life. She's been dealing, these three movies is about a girl dealing with the trauma of her mother being killed. Yeah. Of, her, of the loss of her mother. And... It's, it is a really beautiful, nice little cherry on top of this, like, not-so-good movie, but it's a pretty good ending to, like, the franchise. Yeah. Because this was the franchise for ten years, right? Yeah. So, I think it was about ten years before Scream 4 came out. Yeah. So we have a big time jump in between this movie and Scream 4. Yeah. Um, I, and I guess this movie as a whole, mm-hmm. how how are you feeling about it? It's more just a movie. I don't set out to watch it like, oh, you know what? I really want to watch Scream 3. I haven't seen that in a while. It's more, I'm going to marathon the entire franchise, so of course I'm going to watch Scream 3. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things you feel obligated to watch as a Scream fan more than like, a desire to watch. It's like you have to because otherwise you start to forget information if you start skipping things. It kind of helps to, you know, move you along from each movie. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot about this little piece. I forgot about that. So, it's a fun movie, it's got a lot of uh, humor in it, more than the first two movies. Two, I believe it's detriment. I I don't want to sound mean, but this movie, it's trying to be funny, it's trying to be a parody, yeah. it's trying to be goofy, and it's not very funny. It's no. not, like, the kills aren't very interesting, they're pretty... They got. They don't have a lot of bite to them. Now there's a lot of cool character stuff going on in here. Yeah. I think that's like actually the best part of the movie yeah. is Sydney's character arc of the film. Yeah, that that's what I enjoyed the most. And I think there are actually good themes in here. And 
more than the metatextual metatextual pastiche that Williamson was doing in one and two. Mm-hmm. This one feels like okay, no, we have a theme, and that's like how the Hollywood system chews up young actresses and yeah. spits them out, and how they deal with their trauma, which I will say is a admirable thing. And it's also in hindsight really weird that Lee Harvey Weinstein was the producer on this. Yeah. Can I get a yikes from the audience? Oh, yikes. Yikes. Yeah. It's just like, how do you have a movie in your company like this that's, you know, voicing this very important thing that's happening in Hollywood? This is Me Too before Me Too. Exactly. And then it's sitting there and your conscience doesn't do anything. You continue harassing and doing god-awful things to more actresses for years until he just finally got caught. What was it? Like, maybe two, three years ago? 20, I think it was 2016, I think, when he got arrested. Well, that's that's the crazy thing, is I'm, wonder, I'm wondering what the logic of this film was in its production phasing. Yeah. Because, yeah, the script's being changed all the time, so I'm, I'm imagining, you know, the producers didn't get a chance to see a lot of it. Yeah. Or when they did see it, they were like, okay, well, we just need to make money off of it. Yeah. And I'm, it might be another thing where it's like the theming of it is just over your head Mm -hmm. but this movie i feel like this movie's saying a lot and i do appreciate that it's trying it's just execution is just not there yeah and okay scream one i liked because it's just like down the middle a really good smart slasher film that actually can say things about the tropes and the metatextual conversation of the slasher genre. Well, it's also a simple story, too. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's very straightforward. It's a revenge story. It's not like when we get to three, where it's just there's so many strings and there's so many different tropes going on. And it's just like, no, it's like, keep it simple, where it's this person is pissed off and they're going to take all the blame on you. Yeah, and then and that's what's happening in Scream 2. Mm-hmm. In Scream 2 really fun movie mm-hmm. has has a lot going for it i have issues with pretty much just like the beginning because i find it kind of like off-putting and the ending because it's just the motivations for the killers is just like oh well fuck you yeah but everything else it's like no it's a fun little slasher flick but this one it's like oh it's trying to say a lot but it just can't get it across really well yeah there's a tons of tons of messages they're trying to fit into the two hour mark of this movie yeah but overall your thought over overall what what do you give this out of five uh i'd give it a three you give it a three yeah three for three i i I gave scream two i think a 2.5 i can give this a two yeah i mean it's not great by any means it's not great but it entertains me. It's part of the franchise, so I love this franchise, so I'm going to watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're As a Scream fan, it's yeah. a 3 out of 5 for you? Yeah, it's a 3 right. out of 5 for me. Uh, me as a non-Scream fan, I'm, I'm a firm 2. Yeah. And it takes us to Scream 4. It does. Which it is does. one of my favorite Scream movies. Really? Yes, I really enjoy Scream 4. Ooh, okay. I don't think I've seen Scream 4. We're slowly and slowly getting to the movies where Dean has no context of. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of scared f- about you watching Scream 4 because you might come back and be like, oh, this was terrible. It's so meta. Uh, uh, like, uh, well, I don't I don't mind it being meta. 
like Scream 1 and Scream 2, my, my issues with Scream 2 of it being like, oh god, it's so meta. Now watching Scream 3, I'm like, oh, no, it makes me appreciate Scream 2 far more. Exactly. Scream 2 was a subtle hand in, in an artist's brush stroke. Well, Scream 3 is like, yo, want to go paintballing this weekend? Like, oh my god, the meta was so heavy-handed. It, it was not well done in Scream 3. That's why, right. just letting you know, Scream 4 is going to be meta. It's going to be more well, modern, where well, we, we tie in... It's a Scream movie. It's a Scream movie. We're tying in um, internet and pop culture. Uh, how, how dated does this get? I just need to know. No, it, it's more modern, because we're, we're dealing if, with... If one of them says, YOLO, Chief, let's get these boomers, yo, that's going to be dated. But we're going to get to that next week. I mean, that's more of a sentence that you would say. Uh, don't worry about it. You know, I mean, fuck it, YOLO. I mean, who calls people Chief anymore? Don't worry about it. Well, where can they find this next week, Chief? Okay, if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can listen to us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're also on YouTube. We are. You can find us on our YouTube channel, In The Frame. That's right, In The Frame on YouTube. Subscribe, comment, whatever you would like. Um, we always release new stuff every week. Come check it out. Yeah, and if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Film Club Podcast. And with that, Boo, any last words? We'll see you next week at the Film Club. And have a great week, everybody. 